0: Stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. So the Corinthians valued wisdom, right? It's a city in ancient Greece. It's it's this really vitally important economic city. It's a melting pot. There's people from all over the world. It's very much like the modern United States in a lot of ways. In fact, I like to compare it to like the Las Vegas of ancient Rome, Um, because it really I mean all those things that we think of when we think of Las Vegas, they're true of Corinth as well. And Paul's put a church right in the middle of it. But they value wisdom because they're Greeks, and Greeks value wisdom a lot. That's sort of the uh, cornerstone of their entire cultural belief system is this pursuit of what they believe to be wisdom and knowledge. And so Paul decides the best thing he can do is to take this wisdom that they value and, and contrast it with what he calls the foolishness of the gospel. Now because Christianity is so deeply ingrained in our culture now, we kind of have a difficult time understanding Uh, the way that it was commonly perceived in the ancient world. There's a a famous piece of graffiti that's been found in Rome, and it's this drawing of of a figure on a cross, and it has the body of a man and the head of a donkey. And the inscription reads, Alexa worships his God. And there's a little stick figure bowing down to the man donkey on the cross. And it's very clearly meant to be mocking Christians because how, how dumb are they to worship a guy that Rome crucified? I mean, th- think about it, right? Crucifixion is the execution method that's reserved for the worst criminals. But it's not just a means of, of execution. It is, it is specifically a means of demonstrating the power of Rome, showing their supremacy, Right? Is a powerful statement that we can do this and you can't stop us. Why on earth would any intelligent person worship someone who was clearly so inferior to the Roman Empire that put him on the cross? So Christians were mocked for the the foolishness of worshiping a man who had been so clearly demonstrated to be this, this weak criminal, a shameful man. Right? it's obvious to everyone who has eyes to see that the Empire was more powerful than Jesus and and so that means that the Emperor is a better God than Jesus. Why would you choose to worship the God who lost? Any you of know, that that sounds like something out of ancient history, but the reality is a lot of the modern attitudes towards Christianity are not that far off. Most people are are Still respectful of any religious belief, so long as um, so long as you're not too serious about it, right If they think you're just a nominal Christian, right? you do, you go to church on Sundays, you call yourself a Christian, you believe in a higher power, and you draw the line there, no one really has a problem with that. but But when people realize that you actually believe the things in the Bible that you actually believe that, that dead people have come back to life, that you actually believe in things like miracles, then their opinion of you starts to shift a little bit. It happens all the time. We believe in things that, that other people clearly know are impossible. And so Paul, Paul emphasizes that God makes human wisdom look Foolish. It's not just that he rejects it or that that it's insufficient, it's that God intentionally does things to thwart human wisdom. In other words, what he's saying is God God intentionally set things up so that Christians would be worshiping someone in a way that the world would think was foolish. He thwarts human wisdom. God chose to save us through the cross knowing how it would look. And so the thrust of this passage is that human wisdom can never actually get you to the knowledge of God. There's a gap there and we can't cross it on our own. Human wisdom might get you to a point where where you agree that there is a God but it can't get you to the knowledge of the one true God. There's something in the way. And, And If you think about it, this makes sense. If you think about what it means for God to have created all of us and to create the universe and all the things that we say are true of God, he's he's beyond human comprehension. And so this causes problems because you see, Paul is preaching to a a church that's in Greece, and the Greeks like wisdom. They like to know things. They like to prove things and to demonstrate them through logic and reason. And, and, and for the Jews, there's a different problem because the Jews want signs and wonders. They want miracles for them. God is active powerfully in the world, that's true, but, but God demonstrates his activity through these mighty acts, right? Like parting the Red Sea and leading them through the wilderness in a pillar of cloud and fire, not dying on a cross. For the Jews, a crucified Messiah that is an oxymoron. It could not possibly happen. And for the Greeks, of course, it just seems utterly foolish to worship someone who was condemned as a criminal and crucified. Both sides have their stumbling blocks with the message of the cross. And Paul, Paul uses this interesting word here when he talks about preaching the cross. The Greek word he uses is caruso, and it's not about teaching. It's not a word that implies teaching. It's a word that you would use for like a royal messenger proclaiming something that the king is telling to the people. He's, he's intentionally telling people, look, this is not my teaching. This is not logic or reason. This is coming from the mouth of God through me to you. That this is what God is doing. All along the way, he's setting up these, these very clear divisions, saying, look, this is what human wisdom gets you, but God goes further, and God does things that make human wisdom seem foolish. But you notice in the midst of all this, Paul never refers to the gospel as the wisdom of God. You might think he would. He's talking about human wisdom and how the gospel is foolishness in the eyes of the people we think are wise. So you might think he would want to contrast that and say, yeah, but this is human wisdom, but the gospel is God's wisdom. But he doesn't. He calls the gospel the power of God. Because, you see, if the gospel is God's wisdom, then only the intellectually gifted could believe in it and follow it. This is God's power. It's available to everyone. And it's not contingent on on you. It's not contingent on how well you think. It's not contingent on, on whether you agree with it. It's simply true. It is. And it is the power of God. And so in the end, the Jews who were always seeking a sign were blind to the greatest sign of them all and the wisdom-seeking Greeks could not discern the most profound wisdom of all. Because the message of the gospel is the power of a God who transcends all of that. In other words, Paul is saying you don't know about God unless God tells you about God. That's what the gospel is. That's what the scriptures are. They are God revealing himself to us. Because we couldn't get there on our own. And there's little signs and hints all around creation. Paul's actually pretty big on that in in some of the other letters. He's big on it in Romans, right? That you you see evidence of the creator all around you. God is constantly working on revealing himself, but in the in the gospel is when God fully reveals himself as who he is and what he's doing. So moving ahead to 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 9. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things of God has prepared for those who love him. Now just as a side note, when he talks about the mature, he's, he's not like creating class divisions within the Christians, like, okay, you've been a Christian for six months, so you're mature, and this guy over here is not. He's, he's, lumping, he's lumping all Christians together under that label of mature because he's comparing them to the people who have not received the wisdom of the gospel. So, right, everyone who believes in the cross will be able to see the profound wisdom of God. And this then is where we start seeing why, why people around the world maybe don't understand what the church is up to or, or don't follow along with the teachings of the gospel. Because you have to believe in the cross before it starts to make sense. There are things in the Bible that, that are, are true enough that you can believe in them whether you believe in the cross or not. But there are some things about God that only start to make sense after you put your faith in him. That's actually kind of the point of faith, that you're going to have to take a leap of faith and trust that, that, that this is true and that God is real and that Jesus did die for your sins and that he did rise again. Because and, and, it sounds crazy on the face of it, but you have to put your faith in it first before you begin to see the wisdom of it. That's how it works. God asks you to trust him and then starts revealing stuff to you. In fact, the, the early church believed that so profoundly that they even went so far as to say you couldn't even properly read the Bible if you didn't already believe in God. We don't usually go that far, right? But that was a common belief. You couldn't even interpret the Bible properly if you didn't believe in God. In fact, they went even further and said you couldn't interpret the Bible properly if you, had, if you hadn't confessed your sins that day. Like you had to go confess your sins, pray for repentance, and then you could open up your Bible and then you could properly interpret what, we, what you were reading because, because there is so much wisdom in there that you just can't access from a human standpoint. We don't, again, we don't go that far anymore. Please just read your Bible all the time. I don't care. But that's, that's the, the seriousness with which they took it. But he's still, he's going to be careful this whole time to separate this idea of the wisdom of this world from the wisdom of God. And he's, he's talking about the wisdom of this age because he's reminding people of the, the transitory nature of the world we live in right now. And of the world's wisdom right now. It's as if he's saying, look, all these things that these people know are true in a hundred years, they'll know they weren't. And a hundred years later they'll have new truths and a hundred years after that they'll have new truths. And the only thing that's going to remain constant through all of that is the truth of the gospel. And boy how true did that prove. People are always so certain of the things that are true. But outside of this there's not much that people have been able to agree on for more than a few decades at a time. Almost everything else changes to one degree or another. The way we interpret events around the world, things that we are absolutely certain are true about human nature, things that we're certain are true about, about the world we live in, they change all the time. We learn new things our perceptions change, our, our, our biases change, but the gospel does not change. It's remained consistent. And not only that, but, but the, the interpretation of it has remained consistent. For 2,000 years, billions of Christians all across the globe have pretty much agreed on the basic core principles here. Think about that for a minute. There is nothing else that has stood the test of time quite like that has. That alone is a testament to the, to the fact that maybe this is not human in origin, and maybe there's something more going on here than we're fully aware of. Paul refers to God's wisdom as a, as a mystery. He, he, he doesn't use the word exactly. But he has this line, right? What, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived. And, and, and the early church really liked this idea of, of the mystery of God. But it wasn't a mystery in the way that you or I use the word like, as like a puzzle to be solved, Right? you look for clues and you find the, the, the answer to the mystery. They use it in this way that like a, a mystery is a secret that we are unable to penetrate until God reveals it to us. And so for them, God was mysterious in the sense that we just could not figure him out except for those bits that he chose to tell us about. And so there's always this attitude of of we don't actually know everything there is to know about God and who God is and what God wants. All we know is what he's told us. And so when you read the the writings of the early church fathers and and Paul, one of the things you see is there's a lot of humility when they begin talking about God and the gospel. Because they know they don't know everything. They know that God has not revealed everything to them. And they know that God is a mystery. This is part of, of what the scriptures mean when they say things like when they refer to like the fear of the Lord and stuff like that. Not 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 fear in the sense of like terror or, or being scared, but, but of a sort of deep respect and humility that comes from understanding that you don't know everything. You only know what God has revealed to you. And so tread lightly this is important to Paul it's important to the early church but but in modern christianity we really have lost our sense of mystery around god right because we want all the answers right we want to know everything and we're used to having them right we're we're used to having all the answers at our fingertips and and if i come to you and say well there's no answer for this people get really upset they get frustrated because we're supposed to have them. It's 2022. We should have all the answers to all the questions we want. But God just doesn't work like that. Right? We get asked all the time, if all these things you believe about God are true, then why do bad things still happen? Right? It's one of the most basic questions that people ask about, about the Christian faith and belief in God in general. And it's still one of the most common because it's one of the most profound and it's one that we don't have an answer to. If God is so great, why do people lose their children? If God is so great, why do natural disasters happen? Why is there so much suffering and pain in the world? This is one of those things we just don't get an answer for. And it's in those moments you simply have to, to trust that God will reveal all of that in his good timing. Which is never the answer we want to hear. But it's part of maintaining your faith as a Christian. Accepting that, that God is a mystery. And we're not going to have all the answers. And we'll just have to be comfortable with that because for whatever reason, God seems content not to reveal everything to us just yet. So the last passage for today is chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So here he puts it all together, right? And, And makes it explicit. The reason this all works is because once you put your trust in Jesus, God sends the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells within you and enables you to see things that other people cannot see. It's as if you gain an extra sense. You have this level of discernment that that those who don't put their trust in Jesus just don't have. Which is why some of us, maybe if you, if you grew up in, a, in the church like me, and you've been sort of uh, steeped in, in, in scripture and theology your entire life, sometimes the things that... that people who have not had that experience say and do are just baffling to you, right? You you wonder why someone might believe that or do that or say that or think that. And, and the reality is it's not it's not for anything else other than that just that you have the holy spirit and they don't. That's it. Without God's spirit dwelling within you, you would not know the things you know. This is why Paul has all this language in in the Bible about Uh, the, the difference between the flesh and the spirit. He's talking not about the difference between your physical body and your spiritual body, but between you and the person who is dwelt in by the Holy Spirit. Because when he talks about the spirit, he's always talking about God's Holy Spirit. Because he's literally saying, look, if you don't have the Holy Spirit within you, you can't see the things of God. You can't understand the wisdom of God. If you don't have the Holy Spirit within you, you have no ability to break free from the sin that rules over your life. He would go so far as to say, quite literally, you can't choose to do good things unless the Holy Spirit dwells within you. Not consistently, at least. You'll always struggle with that. This, then, is the reason why, for us, the gospel doesn't seem so foolish. It's not because we're smarter than everyone else, although sometimes I might think that about myself, and my wife's not here, so I can say it. Right? It's not that we're, we're better educated or that we know the Bible better than anyone else because there are plenty of people, by the way, who are not Christians who've read this whole thing more than you have and they think it's stupid. No, no, the difference, the difference is that we have the Holy Spirit living within us. Paul actually says we have the mind of Christ. It's like God dwells within you and gives you extra abilities. You're a superhero. Just don't try and fly. It won't go well. I'm not speaking from experience, but but that's what happens. You're, you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. God sends the Holy Spirit to dwell within you. And it changes you in a very literal way. So you perceive things you didn't perceive before. The way you see the world changes. And... Everyone's experience of this is different. You know, some people, it's like someone has flipped a light switch and everything has changed in the blink of an eye. And for some people, it's like it takes years before they really, truly begin to get it and see things through this sort of spiritual discernment perspective. Everyone's a little bit different, but it always happens in the end. The way you perceive things is different. This is why Paul says the gospel is foolishness to those who don't believe, but the power of God to save for those who do. Of course it's going to look foolish. Because the gospel tells us about things that we all know are impossible. It tells us about a man who rose from the dead. It tells us about that man raising at least one other person from the dead and, and performing all these kinds of miraculous healings and, and feeding 5,000 people with two fish and all these other things that we, we just know are physically impossible. They violate all the laws that the world runs by. But you know, the, the thing is, everyone has always known that those things were impossible. The disciples knew it was impossible for a dead person to be alive again. People in the ancient world knew just as well as you and I do that dead people stay dead. They knew it better than we do, actually, because they, frankly, had to interact with dead bodies more than you or I do. They embalmed their own family members, and after, after a while, they went back and dug them up and took the bones out of the grave once the flesh was gone and reburied the bones somewhere else so the grave could be reused. They were intimately familiar with death. They knew what happened to a dead body. And people have for for two thousand years tried to figure out why so many people believed that a dead man had come back to life, and they've come up with all kinds of wild and crazy theories. But the best explanation that makes the most sense that fits the facts best is he did. just like the only explanation for a 14-foot alligator living in Port A is that they can, in fact, live in salt water, but but we all know that's impossible, so there must be some other explanation. The gospel is foolishness to those who don't believe. But once you believe, it begins to make sense. Once you believe, then, then the things that are in the Bible Begin to line up, and it's not just that you'll begin to you know read the Bible and see things, and they go, oh, you know what, that actually makes sense. It's that you'll you'll look around your life, and you'll start to actually see things differently. And go, you know, if that person had just read Isaiah, they would not be in jail right now. I, you know, whatever. <laughs> I mean, I've had similar thoughts. If this person had just read, you know, but but the reality is, right? we, we perceive things differently. And I say all this, one, one to encourage you, right? you. You get to have a different perspective on the world than anyone else because you have like an extra set of senses because the Holy Spirit dwells within you. But, but the other thing about this is, from the point of view of, of the people of God trying to communicate the message of the gospel to people outside the church, just know you sound crazy. And it's Okay. You might get weird looks, and it's okay. That didn't stop the early church from spreading. The the foolishness of their message did not prevent people from recognizing the love that they had for their neighbors. It didn't prevent them from recognizing that these early churches were doing a lot of good and from wanting to participate in some way in what they were doing. But more importantly, there is something Within all of us that wants to believe in the impossible. I mean, what a sad world it is if the only things that can happen are the things we know are possible. We like to believe in things that we are told should not happen. This is why we we like. Movies like, like the Marvel movies and all these superhero movies and Star Wars and things like that, where, where things are going on that we know can't possibly happen because we like to imagine a world where those things do happen. God has placed something within the human heart that longs for the impossible to be true. So, no matter how foolish it seems, there is something appealing in that message. No one wants death to be forever. And so there's something appealing in the message that it's not. But we'll sound foolish. And and the response to that is is not to just judge them right back and say, well, if you think I'm dumb, wait till I tell you all the ways you're stupid too. We might want to sometimes. It's really tempting, I know. But the reality is we have to understand we have the Holy Spirit in us. We see things that people who don't have that Cannot see. This is why the world reacts so strangely to the message of the gospel, but it's also why so many people, um, frankly, are are falling away from the church because what we're seeing now are the people who never really believed and they're leaving. And it's the, the people who have always bought in heart, mind, and soul who have the Holy Spirit and who, who have that spiritual discernment, they're sticking around. And, and historically what happens, every time that plays out, there's a revival afterwards. That's coming. Great things are going to happen. And we'll see them coming before anyone else. God's wisdom is not our wisdom. And sometimes the the wisdom of the gospel seems utterly foolish to the world, right? Jesus won the victory over death by letting himself be killed. That's foolishness. But it's the power of God to save. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.